Welcome to the Mike Bowie Show, where we talk with people who influence people. Hey, John Dawson. Thanks for joining me today. So how you doing? Mike Bowie, if I was any better, I'd be you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you always say that, no matter who it is. Or, do you reserve that for me, or do you say that to everybody? <laughs> I pretty much say that to everybody. I, uh, there are people, there's been a handful of people who have been a little hurt, I feel like, when they heard me say it to other people. Like they wanted to be exclusive, right? They, yeah, I mean, I don't blame them. Well, I mean, isn't that the affirmation that we desire as humans? We want that exclusivity with our friends, right? I guess so. I mean, you're married, right? I am. That's that's the point. So mm-hmm. married, I, best friends. I'm not sure that I, I'm okay with you saying that to other people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Mike. Well, I'll tell you that. a story, a short story about that. If that, do we have time for a short story? Well, we just started. We've got plenty. <laughs> we we've have, got several we've short got stories the whole in this time. So, I uh, had been saying that as an answer. If somebody said, "How are you?" I would always say, "If I was any better, I'd be you." For a long time, for years. And had kind of forgotten where I had heard it the first time. And I was talking to a good friend of mine who I hadn't talked to in a couple of years. And he said, John, how are you? And I said, if I was any better, I'd be you. And he said, that's my line. And I remember that, sure enough, I stole it from him about 20 years ago. Who is it? A guy named Michael Berge, who worked down on Produce Row. I was in Produce for 20 years and would see him every day. And as far as I know, he's still down there. Works for a company named Mantia Fruit. Is that pro, is Produce Row? Is that downtown St. Louis? Is that like the whole? It's north of downtown. Market? Well, so you get Soulard Farmers Market, which is in Soulard, which is awesome. It's beautiful. I love that place. Great, great place. But St. Louis Produce Row is a place where, unless you're in Produce, you don't know where it is. But it's been there since 1954. And that's where that, all the produce guys. That's where. Well, it used to be a lot bigger deal than it is now. But all the produce that came into the Midwest came through St. Louis Produce Road. So it's just like a dock. It's basically dock two blocks long on each side of the street, and all it is is just warehouses and docks. Hmm. So you were in, you were in, <laughs> you were in fruit. I was. <laughs> and vegetables. I was pretty heavily involved in fruit and vegetables, yes. <laughs> well, more fruit now than ever. Mm. But um, for 20 years. So I don't know how old you are. I guess we're, I guess we're about the same age. I think you're slightly older than me. At least I take some comfort in knowing that. <laughs> some solace in that, of course. But <clears throat> so let's start at the beginning, you know, coming out of high school. Even before that, I asked Mark on my last podcast, I asked Mark Hollander this question. I love Mark Hollander. He's a good man. What did you want to do when you grew up? Till I was 13 years old, I always knew that I would be a farmer. When I grew up. Did your parents farm? My parents farmed. Uh, my grandfather on my dad's side farmed. My grandfather on my mother's side had always kind of had a dream of a small farm and had never really done that. But he had grown up as a, as a small farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when I was 13, I told my grandfather, my dad's father, he said, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I said, I'm going to be just like you. Which his name was John, too. So we had the same name. That worked out. I mean, I'm already on the right track. I'm right. going to be just like Grandpa. You got the right components. And I said, Grandpa, I'm going to be just like you. And he said, John. Whatever you do. He said, whatever you do, do something else. He said, the only reason I was a farmer is because that was the only thing I knew how to do. Right. And so I took that advice. And uh, at 13, 
I said, okay, well, maybe I won't be a farmer. So you played ball. You did all the normal stuff, right? Because we grew up kind of in the same area. Yeah, interestingly, we grew up probably within three miles of each other. But yeah. you were, I think when I was a freshman in high school, you were a senior. And when you're a kid, that's a huge that's difference. That's a big difference. There, and I don't know that there's a maturity difference, but there is a, a there is seemingly when you're that age, it seems <laughs> like there's worlds. It's insurmountable <laughs> yeah. between freshmen. So and we didn't even. I don't even think. I think I may have been aware of you because you were a senior. And I was aware right. of seniors. That's really all yeah. I had going for me. Yeah. I mean, I had I, I didn't play sports my senior year, but I did all through junior high and high school. I was in drama. I was in music. I was in. Um, I did run. I did run track. But um, I don't know. Did just, your hair look like Patrick's hair looks like now? No, my son Patrick has this beautiful curly yes. wavy blonde hair. <laughs> And I didn't grow my hair longer until I was um, more of a professional musician. And then mm. I did the whole, you know, late 80s, early 90s Absolutely. thing. But so you decided that you would do something different. But at 13, were you really thinking career goals? Or were you just thinking, yeah, Grandpa said don't do that, so maybe I ought to listen? Well, my Grandpa had also been a truck driver. He had a truck back before, you know. So my Grandpa, uh, he was born in 1907. Mm-hmm. Uh, Got married, I guess, in 1932. Uh, but anyway, he was one of the first people around his part of the world that had a, a truck. And so he was always asked to haul things. And so he, he did that as well. And so I thought, okay, well, I won't be a farmer, but I'll be a truck driver because that's okay. what Grandpa did. Yeah, because so, it's lucrative. Yeah. People want, want to move things. Right. So, so that was kind of always in my mind was that when I grow up, I will, uh, I'll drive a truck because Grandpa did that too. And then in high school, were you involved in... What was your What was your thing in high school? Would you? I was in the FFA. That was. I, mean, I was I lived, also in the FFA. Yes. So for you guys who don't know, that's Future Farmers of America. We, we've correct. always we've all already established that John was not going to be a farmer. So clearly, he decided to join the Future Farmers of America. Even though, <laughs> despite, even though. I however knew all the kid, I wouldn't. All be the a cool farmer. kids were doing it though. Like. We were. You know, you 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 made projects. You you made. I don't know. I, I guess for my grand project at the end of the year as a senior, I built a log splitter. What'd you do? Well, that's a long story. I can make it shorter. But do a short one. Let me just tell you this. Yeah. So first of all, let's let's brag a little bit. We were in the Troy chapter, and that was of the Future Farmers of America. Incredible chapter. It was the showcase chapter of FFA in Eastern Missouri. I didn't know that. I just knew it was awesome. It was. It was really awesome. Uh, the other chapters nearby uh, struggled. And, and did what they could, and they wanted to be like us, but they couldn't. Mr. Schultz. Mr. Schultz and Alan Harrell. Jimmy Schultz and Alan Harrell. Harrell. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember Mr. Harrell's yeah, name. Yeah, absolutely. Two of the best teachers I ever had. And then I think somebody that I went to school with kind of took it over and just retired. Who just retired is the the head of F, the FAA department. Oh. FAA. FAA, he, FAA uh, he was in, I think he was a year behind you. Who was? I can't remember who it was now. Um I just saw it on Facebook. I saw that he had retired. I didn't know he'd retired. I knew he'd kind of taken yeah. it over. I can't remember his name. So anyway, your story. Yeah, so junior year was the year that you did the big project, the big metal project, and people would build log splitters, loading chutes, uh, trailers, uh, all kinds you of stuff. You name it. Big industrial yeah. stuff. And, you know, farm-related usually. Uh, and then, of course, they'd make them. They'd show them at the fair and be judged. And uh, we always crave judgment, don't we? And so be judged and then sell it or use it, whatever the case may be. So sophomore year, 
uh, Alan Harrell came to me. Now, this is how I remember it. So, Mr. Harrell, if you're listening and it happened differently, I <laughs> <Please> apologize, <laughs> but understand this is how I remember it. Uh, but Alan Harrell came to me the end of sophomore year and said, hey, we're going to start this program next year called Horticulture. And I think you would be great in it. And uh, he was clearly, you know, recruiting. And I had never been recruited in my life, and it felt pretty good. And yeah. I thought, hey, I don't know anything about horticulture, but if I mean, he seems to really want me to be involved. So I said, yes, I'll do it. So for my vocational agriculture class, my junior year, I took horticulture instead of, I believe it was ag power and processing. So I did not do a junior project. Well, halfway through junior year, Jimmy Schultz comes up to me. I probably shouldn't call him Jimmy. Sometimes we call him Uncle Jimmy, but anyway. It was always Mr. to me. I was never one of the cool kids. Mr. Well, (laughs) yeah, neither was I. Mr. Schultz came up to me halfway through junior year and said, hey, how come you didn't take, how come you didn't do a project this year? And I said, well, I said, uh, Mr. Harrell came and asked me to do horticulture. and I kind of took it as though you guys didn't have a lot of faith in me being able to build a loading chute. So that's how I did. That's how I got out of a loading chute. Is like it's it, it's a ramp to load animals into a pickup truck and to get them to walk up this. It's like a plank, and you might put wheels on it. Mm-hmm. If you knew what you were doing, it yeah. well could be the easiest thing to build. Pretty easy. Yeah, in fact, my little brother made one. Made a very nice one. Yeah, his yeah. name's Mike too, by the way. Oh well, great, great. Yeah. So. Um, we knew that you designed, you, you thought at that point, truck driver. Mm. So high school ends. Yes. High school ends, and I didn't, wasn't really sure how to go about being a truck driver. There wasn't things like CAPS and CEA or CAE, I can't remember right. which one it is. There wasn't a lot of guidance. And also, you know, there wasn't, if you, if you're, if you went to your guidance counselor and said, I want to be a truck driver. I'd like to be a truck driver. They were like, get out. So there just wasn't a lot of guidance in that direction. Right. And, uh, but I did go to college. Uh, actually, this is not something a lot of people know, but I also, uh, sophomore year in high school, decided maybe I should be a priest. I grew up Catholic. You did? I did. That's interesting. So I grew up Catholic and thought, hey, maybe I should be a priest. And so that was during Algebra 2, sophomore <laughs> year. I was the big mistake. Like, you remember the day. I do. I was sitting by the windows, which was, was my mistake. Now, let me ask Don't you. sit by the windows in Algebra 2. When you had this revelation that you wanted to be a priest, mm-hmm. or maybe I should. I wouldn't call it a revelation, but go ahead. Well, that was that's the nature of my question. Was God speaking to you, or were you thinking? I was bored to tears, <laughs> sitting by the window in Algebra 2. Not paying attention, looking and out the I'm window, be a, and gosh, understanding that I, I was this, not going to get a good grade. I'm just going to be celibate the rest of my life. I don't even think I thought that much into it, but I thought, <laughs> I'm doing terrible in school. I can't concentrate. What could I do? And I thought, well, you have to go to college to be a priest, but they've you know, we've got a shortage on But priests. there's no math. They won't turn me away, will they? So <laughs> They do turn people away. They do, as it turns out. Only that the that ones comes that, later. The ones that can't do algebra. Yeah, that's what it boiled down to, I guess, but... Yeah, so anyway, I went home and told my mom, hey, I think I'm going to be a priest. Don't tell anybody. I haven't really decided. She ran straight up to Father Shulton and said, hey, John's going to be a priest. And then, of course, the cat was out of the bag, and the pressure was on. <laughs> so 
<laughs> what are the two lessons you learn right then don't and there? Don't tell mom. Don't tell mom anything. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. What the, don't sit by the window in Algebra 2. Right. I don't know. I loved Algebra. That was ended up being, math ended up being my major in college. So what did you major in? I majored in philosophy and letters, which was what you had to, you had to take that major if you were studying to be a priest. So, so you actually... Where you I, actually went to college thinking, I'm doing this. I'm gonna, yeah. Well, I wanted to serve God, so that's you know I joke about it a lot. But I did have a thirst to serve God, and I thought this would be a really good way to do it. Plus, you know, it's a good retirement plan. And it is. You don't. I mean, you didn't look like you needed to know algebra. I. The uh, eternity is set. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there I was. So I went for a year. And I think by Christmas, this was a long time ago too, Mike, so the details are kind of foggy. But I believe by Christmas break, I had decided that the priesthood probably wasn't for me. Right. And then I think there was a couple of weeks left in the school year, and my class dean uh, took me aside and indicated that he was pretty sure that it wasn't for me too. So he was in agreement. Yes. And he said, I'll never forget this. He said, John, he said, some of us weren't meant to serve God the way we as priests serve God. Some of us were meant to serve God with our hands. And I thought, hmm. That's powerful. That'll work. Did that crush you? Or did, did was it like, were you in agreement? Or was that like, oh my gosh, that's a devastating blow? It didn't crush me. I, I, you know, I was, I had developed this very small plan of how I was going to do this, which involved being a priest. And then, you know, I had already figured out, well, I'm not going to be a priest. And so I knew that that wasn't how I was going to serve God. But when he said that, what I actually craved was the knowledge of how I would serve God. Right. And so what he told me was with your hands, which is a very general answer, and I was hungry for a specific answer. So it didn't crush me. I was just like, well, yeah, mm-hmm, well, what else can you tell me? <laughs> right. Any, any tips here? And that Father? was it. That was pretty much it. And he's like, nope, just yeah. you fi- You'll figure it out, he said. All right. So did you switch your major or did you quit? I quit because also I knew, I mean, I knew before I went to college that school wasn't for me. I was there because I had to be there if I wanted to do this thing. And now that I wasn't going to do that thing, I thought, well, I will, uh, I'll go get a job. I'll work and make some money and see how I feel in a year or two. Maybe I'll come back to college. And I did go back for a semester, two or three years, maybe four years later. It was a little while later. I went back for a semester and then realized during that semester, yes, I was correct. School's not for me. I just realized that everybody I've, I've had conversations with on this podcast show so far, the, the podcast being about and being about the people who influence people. Um, so it's not about the influence. It's about the people who are influential. And, and clearly you're somebody that's influential in the community. What I find interesting is the first three guests that I've had Actually, four if you include my son Patrick on the first little there fun would episode. Be four. Patrick was first, everybody. None of them have gone to college. Or if they did, they quit. Yeah. Myself included. I, I was a one-year and one-week guy. Mm-hmm. And it was gone. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing for me here. It isn't for everybody, that's no. for sure. But maybe it's because, you know, because there are laws of attraction in communities and in people. And maybe it's I just attract people who dropped out. I don't know. But I don't think that's the. 
I don't think that's the maybe we're on to something the, the, here. The tie that binds us. It's about influence, and I and I love the the study and and you mentioned philosophy, the philosophy of influence and how it can be both positive and negative. And you're somebody who was recommended to me to to have a discussion with because of your influence. So uh, you you quit college you, you or you made a decision not to continue let's just call it that because that's really i think what it was for most of us mm-hmm. that we just made we didn't say i quit it's like you know there's nothing it's like here i gotta me. do something else there's nothing here yeah. for me I, I there's something for me somewhere else did you go right into work in the produce field no uh i i don't know that anybody does this anymore but i went and i got a job at kelly temporary services i had to take a test a skills test, and basically you had to put different colored pegs in different holes and make different patterns, and it was the easiest test I've ever taken in my life. And uh, So they figured you could sort fruit. Yeah, they're like, this guy can sort fruit. But that's not what they put me to work doing right away. I did a bunch of little light manufacturing jobs. I did some press operating. Um, I did some warehouse work, forklift driving stuff, and stuff like that for a few months. And, um, mo. I guess late in the year that year, my uncle reached out to me, and he was kind of a big deal at a, a tax preparation company, and he said, hey, I would like for you to come work for me. Once tax season starts, you'd be a messenger. So this is obviously before the internet. Yeah. And so I was a messenger. You were the email. Yeah. I was kind of, this is exactly what I was. I was like the Pony Express email. Yeah. So I did that for a tax season, and... uh uh, was just kind of, you know, had my eyes open for opportunity to serve God. And I had kind of abandoned the truck driving thing at this point because I thought, you know, I don't know that that's in the cards. And everybody told me it was a bad idea, uh, although I was driving my own car as a messenger. And mm-hmm. so, but so from there, I went to work washing dishes, which I found to be a very spiritual job, believe it or not. Um, I think I understand that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's you know you you start out everything's dirty, you finish up everything's clean, you see the whole job take place in front of you. It was well. I was very thinking more in the in the line of service. Serving well, that too, but that too. But <laughs> it always made me think of. Uh, I saw a movie. Uh, it was a Bill Murray movie. I think it came out in 1983 called The Razor's Edge. I didn't see that one. He's washing dishes in the River Ganges and. Uh, he actually sees somebody washing dishes, and he offers to help him. And they said, this is very spiritual work. And he says, uh, pass me the soap, Bishop. <laughs> but anyway, so as I was washing dishes, I always thought about that. But I did find yeah. it to be sort of spiritual. Um, I did that until, and I was working at a hospital and sort of got promoted up. So you, you did a lot of things. I did. I did a million things. And right. finally, uh, one day, I had... Uh, I made a decision. I made a rash decision. You know, sometimes I think my life is a series of rash decisions. But I made a rash decision and walked away from a job. And it was I. It was a, a piano moving job. I, That's a tough gig. I loved it. Really, I loved it. That's hard work, and there's a lot at stake. Every every damage is big damage. Like, there's no small damage. No, a scratch piano. on it. Even yeah. on an upright piano that's worth 200 bucks. Oh, Lord. We learned all kinds of tricks on how to f- disguise damage. Magic markers. Magic marker or diesel fuel. Time. Diesel, diesel fuel. fuel. If it's a blonde piano, diesel fuel will do it. But I don't <laughs> want to give away all the secrets. Um, but <laughs> Hold on. There are, I'm just, you're hearing from this from me now. There are secrets to be revealed in piano moving. <laughs> 
<laughs> there are. You know, the pay in piano moving was really good. I bet it was. It was really good. Uh, so you got paid a minimum for every job you did, and I think the minimum was two hours. A lot of jobs wouldn't take that long. And uh, also, you got paid a dollar for every step up or down that you had to take the piano. And if you had to turn the piano on its keys, everybody on the job got paid $10. Hmm. So uh, we were the only company in, uh, I think, in the state of Missouri that would do a hoist job. So we got all the really? hoist jobs. That's yeah. a tough gig. It was, but it was amazing. It was very competitive. The men that you worked with, everybody wanted to be seen as a premium piano mover. So everybody was always at their best and always learning. It was amazing. I loved it. But I walked away from a job one day. It was unsafe, I felt like. And um, whether it was or not is irrelevant. I felt like it was. And so I, wa- right. I walked all the way home from that job. And, of course, I didn't work for that company anymore after yeah. that. And it's pretty so, much your, you're punching your ticket there. Yeah, I went days without work. And I would go to these other companies. I went to one moving company in St. Louis, and I said, do you guys move a lot of pianos? And they said, oh, yeah, we move a lot. I said, how many do you think you move in a week? And they said, two or three. We'd been moving 99 in a week, and I thought, hmm, that's not enough. But anyway, so I would settle for regular furniture moving work at that point, you know. And um, But there, there just wasn't a lot. So you're how old at this point? At that point, I think I was 24. So you had, you know, six, five years of, of life. Mm-hmm. And it's time to do something. Yeah. So I answered an ad in the newspaper for, it said, uh, driver. Then X amount of dollars per hour, then had a phone number. This is before, right before the internet. Right. So anyway, I called the number. I got the job. Um, um, that, so now I was a truck driver. Well, during the job Lo interview, behold. yeah, listen to this. I shouldn't <clears throat> tell anybody this, but I'm going to say it right into a microphone. It's ridiculous. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to turn that up a little bit. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Get the good stuff, Mike. <laughs> so. Wait, shit, hold on. Man. That's the Rodney Shrum jam right there. That's the, the Rodney Shrum game show. Uh, okay, so I go for this job interview to be a driver. Mm-hmm. And the owner of the company is interviewing me. His name's Sam. He was a great boss. I worked for Sam for 10 years. Wonderful man. And the job interview was two questions. The first question was, what kinds of trucks have you driven? Now, I had driven a, a couple. Pickup truck and... Yeah, but I had ridden in a lot of trucks. So I listed every truck I'd ever ridden in as trucks I'd driven. <laughs> Were you licensed to drive these trucks? <laughs> some of them, yes. Some of them, no. So then the second question was, do you know how to go out of town? <clears throat> now, in my mind, I thought, every road goes out of town. I can get out of town. So I said, absolutely, I know how to go out of town. <laughs> this, kids, is both why and why not people become successful. Right here. <laughs> this, this is, is it. True. This but is but true. This, is, this is the stuff. I mean, I don't know that you can do that now. Probably not. But 20, 25 years ago, when we were making it up as we were going, because all of us did yeah. to some degree. Absolutely. Uh, this, is, this is part of growing up. And listen, I could be so wrong, because I didn't grow up in a city. I grew up in a, in a farm. I didn't even grow up in an urban area. I was on a farm. But can you do this? Yes. Absolutely, I can. I'll watch somebody else do it, the and I'll answer, do it. The answer is always yes. And even if there's no one to ask, you, you figure it out. If one and, man can, another man can, too. Exactly. So at some point, 
I mean, you can get tripped up and you can you can fail, but at some point you realize, I think part of it for me is just from growing up in the country, you realize that whatever needs to be done, I can do. And I think, you know, your your father, your grandfather probably taught you that. My father certainly taught me that, that this needs to be done. Well, let's go do it. Well, the other thing, Mike, was I could see the truck. And I knew I could drive that little truck. I knew it. I, I had driven that little truck. Not that one, but one just like it. one just like it, yeah. I didn't realize that that wasn't the truck I was going to be driving. <laughs> he had other trucks. He had other trucks, yeah. So, In other places. But yeah, I got that job, but I quickly learned how to drive a truck. Congratulations. Thanks. It worked out. It worked out. See, I did that. Um, uh, it was uh, basically a regional restaurant wholesaler that I drove a truck for. So I drove regional deliveries every day uh, for for years and years. Six and you're days delivering what? Fruit, vegetables? Fruit, vegetables. Uh, sometimes yeah. even uh, the range and refrigerators, whatever a restaurant needed. Whatever they needed. We delivered it. Okay. But also... So were you, were you guys... You guys were the delivery service for businesses. Yes. To restaurants. Well, we were the wholesaler, so we would purchase what you know. We had probably okay, over three see, million it. dollars worth of inventory right. in our warehouse, and so and then you know uh, restaurants would call and order. Most of the time, they would put in a weekly or bi-weekly order for for groceries. Right. Uh, but if they're burners, if they needed to replace the burners in their So you range, guys were just serving them in every we, capacity. Yeah. Whatever they could, needed, right. we could sell it to them. And that just, that fit for you. Absolutely. Because that, you're serving, you're using your hands, mm-hmm. you're driving trucks. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you know, I, I when I designed this show, I didn't intend it to be a Christian show. It, and I love that it, that ministry and faith, things of faith often, often come up. But um, <clears throat> you're, at this point, are you, do you feel like you've reached that level that you're... I felt when I worked for Sam for those 10 years, there was never a question in my mind. I knew that this was where God wanted me. I knew and that, that I was So did you feel useful. like, oh my gosh, I'm doing exactly what Father, Father John Go Home... Yes, Father John go home as <laughs> to be rem- remembered as such from now on. Yes, <laughs> but you're doing what he said, so praise God. He actually absolutely he told you that because what if you'd have gone down that that path and then there's no Heather? Yeah, well, yeah, I'd already met Heather by then. Though. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. So you guys had been together for some time. Yeah, we've been together for over thirty years. I guess thirty-one years. Well, so, next uh, month will be thirty-one years. So you're so. You met her when you were like 20? I was 19 and she was 18. Oh. There's a whole story. Would you like to hear? Do we have time? Well, let's revisit that. Okay. We'll let's put that back on the back burner. Sorry, babe. Well, it's... Heather, that's not why. It's because we have this other thing going. <clears throat> let's go there. She's very So tell me how you met Heather. See? You did your... You, you worked your will on from wherever, <laughs> wherever you are. It worked, sweetie. <laughs> so here's... We met at a dance... And uh, people I, used to go to those. Yeah, we used to dance. I haven't danced since I got married because I don't, I can't afford to do that again. But she's heard that a million times. There's a lot at stake there. <clears throat> That's true. But yeah, so I went to a dance with the intent of meeting a woman. I did. So you were you you were you set out. I'm getting uh, I'm getting me one tonight. I am gonna. Well, I didn't know if it was gonna happen that night, but I was definitely gonna try. But you're 19, and you're like, oh, my gosh, the clock is ticking. I would like to meet a woman. 
<laughs> so actually, I had a, a buddy. Or he was an old man. He's in his sixties, uh, and he told me that it was a Saturday, and he said, "Why don't you go to a dance tonight and see if you can find a what? woman?" <laughs> You're like, "Yes, sir." I I thought, I'm an man, that's the man. best advice I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, was this like one of the Casey Hall dances or something? Or mm, it was at a church. A church uh, dance. Yeah, it was well, at a, like St. Cecilia's, I think. I okay. Remember, something like that. I'm I didn't come up the Catholic side. I yeah. came up the Protestant. Well, Baptist. Well, and you guys don't dance that much, I don't think. Baptists don't dance. Yeah. They don't drink. They don't chew. They don't hang with girls that do. Well, nobody's perfect. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I, uh, of course, I get in there. I'm a quick study. I looked around. Who looks like they have a car and they're great looking? And I found one. That's, uh, that's her. <laughs> Wait a minute. You listed car first. Yeah. So there were there were criteria you had in mind. Well, you know. One of them, she had to have wheels. It's good to have wheels. You got to have wheels. wheels. I had wheels. I thought she should too. So yeah. anyway, I found her. I said, ooh, that's the best looking girl in here. And then I quickly realized she was with her mother. <laughs> And I thought, oh, boy. But then I realized her mother was with her friend. Her mother had a friend. She was there, too. And her mother's friend had a husband. And I thought, oh, this is complicated. But There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on here. But she is the best-looking girl here. So I just thought, I studied it for a little bit. <laughs> and I thought, here's the deal. Do you remember what you said? To Heather? Yeah. The first time? Oh, I absolutely yeah. remember. I'm going to get to that. But I studied it for a little bit, and I realized, hey, at some point, her mom's going to need to pee. And probably she's, so, she's clearly you're go, using biology to your advantage. Yes, yeah, I, I took biology, biology sophomore year in high school. I paid attention because I didn't fit <laughs> by the window. But yeah, so I thought she's going to need to pee. Hopefully, she doesn't take Heather. Well, of course, I didn't know Heather's name, but hopefully, she doesn't take the daughter. Hopefully, Hottie she takes her friend. Right? Yeah. Sure enough, she needed to pee Mom after a while, and those two. The, the friend's name was Susan. They took off. Uh, my mother-in-law and Susan took off to the restroom, and I moved in. I'm, I went into action. Did you think, perhaps, that she was going to become your mother-in-law at that time? I hope so. At that time, she was Heather was so beautiful. I, I knew I wanted that one. Well, she's beautiful today. <laughs> yeah, and which leaves a lot of us wondering. Yeah. So <laughs> I know. I, I didn't bring any pictures, but I can show you some. But yeah, so I, I I I took off across the room, and Heather was sitting on a metal folding chair. Yeah. And I saw her see me. An innocent doe at 18, That's and you're right. a prowler at and 19. And I come prowling quickly towards her. Oh, she had no chance. And she, you know, tucked her legs off to the side and made herself a small. Folded her arms and kind of. <laughs> and she wanted me to walk past without stopping. And I knew that. Like, she telegraphed it perfectly. And I knew that's what she wanted. And I almost did. because. Did, so I, you didn't receive that message? I almost received it. Thank God I didn't. But I thought, nope, it ain't going to work for you this time, young lady. So you're... I stopped right in front of her. And I said, hey, you want to dance? And she said, I don't care. And I, said, <laughs> I don't care. I said, then get up. Let's dance. So we went out on the dance floor, and we danced half a dance. And then the song was over, and I felt like I'd been cheated on the half a song. So she felt like she was done, so she turned around to go. I grabbed her arm. She I felt like she was around. being quite pretty gracious. Yeah, she was like, I gave you half a dance, buddy. What more could you ask I didn't for? even want to. And I didn't did. even want to do that. I was trying to get you to go by. But I grabbed her arm and I spun her back around. And I said, "Hey, you want to go again?" And she said, "I don't care." And I said, "Then move your hips." Well, I didn't really say that. But I said, <laughs> "Hold on, stop it." <laughs> then, then move your hips. That's terrible. Did you snap your fingers? <laughs> so anyway, we danced the whole second. Heather, dance. I, I I know you know this story, but she could tell it i'm glad we could share with i'd it. love to hear her share side it with of hundreds it. of people who are going to listen yeah, to this podcast. i hope so 
So you so let's move on. Okay. So there was some success there. There was. We uh, yeah. We, we've been together ever since. So by the end of those dances in the evening, you were you'd, you within were charming. ten minutes. I knew she'd marry me. Okay. How long did you date before you asked her? Well, about four years, I guess. Because okay. I knew I knew that she'd marry me, but she didn't know. It took me a long time to convince her. You you want to know my short story? Yes. I was at uh, a winery. I was actually working for this band. I was running sound for them. Mm-hmm. And um, I was at... You were um, a sound guy. I was a sound guy. No wonder this sounds so good. Sounds amazing. <clears throat> so I'm, at, I'm running sound for this band, and we're on a break, and I go outside. At the time, I smoked. I was mm-hmm. a smoker at the time. One of those guys. I was. I was, too. And I went outside to have a smoke, and a friend of mine was there from a job that I had had at the time. And this gorgeous, beautiful, just angel sticks her head out the door and looks up at the rain, you know, looks to check to see if it's raining. Mm -hmm. And she has an unlit cigarette in her hand, and I thought, there's my chance. You got a lighter? She's got an unlit cigarette? She had a cigarette and no flame, and I had a flame and... There you go. Yeah. So I turned to my buddy and I said, "Oh my gosh, look at her! I want to, I'm going to ask her out. I'm going to date her." Mm-hmm. So I went over and I offered to light her cigarette. She didn't need a light; she had her own lighter. But she graciously let me light her cigarette. We talked for oh, that's even five minutes. Then I had to go work and run another set. And on the next set break, I'm outside smoking with my buddy again. And she comes out. My now wife comes out again to have a smoke, and I. Of course, see the opportunity to light her cigarette again. Mm-hmm. And I told my buddy that I was with that I'm going to marry her. Mm-hmm. You watch. Mm-hmm. And the way that I've told the story is that it took me three dates to ask her. It might have been four. It could have been five. It could have been two. But it was within the first three weeks of us knowing each other. Mm-hmm. I proposed. What did she say? She said yes. Wow. I tricked her. That's quick. I totally tricked her. Man, he really so, worked it on her. Let's move forward. So you you got the girl. Yes. The girl of your dreams. Mm-hmm. And now you're moving on through these jobs and jobs mm-hmm. and jobs. Mm-hmm. She's doing her thing. And now you get this great job working for Sam. Yes. So 10 years with Sam, but you were 20 years in the produce business. So something changed along the way. Yeah. Well, Sam sold the company to another man, another great man, Mr. Lou. I never knew his first name. You told me about Mr. Lou. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I bet Lou was his first name. I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think it was. (laughs) I never knew his first name, but he was just a terrific guy. Uh, So Sam sold the company to Mr. Lou, and uh, I think I was part, as I understand it, I was part of the come along. Like I basically went with the company, and they had to take me if they wanted to buy the company. You were on the books, yeah. Sam took care of you. Yeah, so he took really good care of me. And um, I remember Sam gave me a piece of advice the last day before I switched over. Sam said, you're going to be fine. He said, the only thing is, don't make any mistakes. Mr. Lou hates mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, oh, shoot. Thank you for that. This might not work. Yeah, this is not going to work. But it turned out it worked fine. So you worked for Mr. Lou for 10 years. I worked for him for two, and then he sold it to other people. Okay, so you're in the same position. You're in the same truck. Yeah. Or series of trucks from 25 years old. Mm -hmm. So you're about 45 years old. I was 44, I think, when I quit. And you have at least one brother. I've got five brothers and one sister. So your brother, Brian, mm-hmm. uh, you and now when you tell the story, 
You talk about how you grew up knowing roofing. Mm-hmm. Was your dad a roofer? No, but we were big do-it-yourselfers. Okay, so you learned those skills. Get up on the roof, something's hit. We, we had a bunch of buildings. They all had roofs. One of them, one of those roofs did not like to stay where we put it. So we got a chance to redo that several times. Gotcha. Now, was your brother in roofing for some time? or? Yeah, he was in roofing. So he, so Brian... 1999. Mm-hmm. That's when we started. That's when Brian Dawson Roofing came into being. It wasn't called Brian Dawson Roofing in the beginning. It was another name, and it eventually switched over. But he... Was it his company the whole time? The whole time it was his, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. What was it before he switched it to his name? It was called Above All Roofing, originally. That's a, a very original name. Mm, yeah, I mean, it is. We thought it was very clever. It's a great. It's, cle- it's, yeah. it's clever. It's clever, yeah. Yeah. So, Did you get the dot-com? Uh, well, back then... I don't even know. I don't think so. I think the first website was called winsvilleroofer.com or mm. something like that. So it's Brian Dawson Roofing now, and you made a decision to go to work for your little brother. Yes. That's a so, story. We might not have time for it. <laughs> let's not. <laughs> this is just going to be storytelling with John Dawson. Yeah, storytelling with Uncle John. Exactly. No, I love these. I love the stories um, because that's what makes – that's life, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. without – these but we're going to forgo this one what's the question well i i think the question is this what's it like being john dawson well that's a great question nobody's ever asked me that i don't think and here's the thing I like don't... you're you're a funny guy and you're and you've got a, a lot of quips and you've got a lot of comebacks and, mm-hmm. and a lot of you're you're a very genuine sincere sincere guy and you're funny but forget all that Mm-hmm. What's it like being John Dawson? Don't give me one liner. Give me. I've a... only ever been me. I don't have so you know. And I want to answer your question. Don't get me wrong, Mike. I'm going to do my best, but let me pray. And I don't it. mean I, that. That sounded <laughs> angry. I'm really not. I just want to no. know the real deal. No. We're sitting in this office together, I'm and not... I've heard all the one liners. I know. I know. <laughs> so I've only had you know the experience that I've had. Right. But what I'll tell you is. I always think about, you know, what if somebody had come to me X amount of years ago or whatever? But I've been thinking that my whole life, pretty much, my adult life anyway. What if somebody had come to me when I was in high school and told me blah, blah, blah? Would I have believed it? And the answer is always no, I wouldn't have believed it. And so I believe, like, I love my life. I love being John Dawson. And I might as well because I can't change it. I am going to be me. But... I will say this. I live a life today that, you know, when I was in my 20s or even in my 30s, I never dreamed that I could have the life I have or that I could have the joy that I have or that I could have the, you know, really just the wonderful things that have happened to me I never thought would happen to me. And I attribute it to the fact that I was able to get out of God's way and let good stuff happen. Yeah, that's a powerful way to say it because we we believers, we we understand that we're giving fruits of the Spirit. We're given power, and, and we, we know from Scripture that we're, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is in us. It's the same power He Absolutely. gives us. <clears throat> but we often take that power and we're like, okay, I'm going to go do this with it versus okay what does he want me to do with right that? right and those are those are like 
dramatically opposing ideas. Well, and sometimes you can even think, hey, I'm going to go do this with it because surely this is what God wants me to do. Right. Yeah. Or here's a fun one. God, I'm going to go do this. Bless it. Yeah, bless it. (laughs) (laughs) This is what's happening. This is what's happening. I hope. Yeah, hop on, God. Yeah, so it's fascinating to me that, and again, maybe it's just the people I retract as a pastor that that everything comes down to faith. But here's a nugget, and and I'm brand new at this podcast stuff. This is my you know my third full length podcast, but I'm finding some unique ties in the three guests. One is that they all dropped out of school, or didn't go. Mm-hmm. Um. Another is they didn't plan at all to be where they are. Yeah. And another one is they absolutely love their lives. They're absolutely filled with joy. Now, there's always turmoil. Always, yeah. So here's a question that I've asked everybody. Have you Two questions, one and a follow-up. Have you ever been insulted? Absolutely, I've been insulted. Can you think of what is, what is something, what is an insult that you've received that you're proud of? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I should be able to think about that right off the top of my head, you'd think. I don't know. And if you don't have an answer, it's okay. We'll move on. Well, yeah, maybe. All right. Think about that. But how would would your parents have described you as an early 20-something looking for your lot in life? And do you still have your parents? I do. My parents are both still alive. Pat and Geneva. Okay, Pat and Geneva. How would you describe John then and now? How would you say they would describe you as that young 20-something seeking your path and then now describing your life as something that you're, you're really, really filled with joy about? Well, I don't, I, I don't know. We never had these conversations, Mom and Dad and I, but what I can tell you is when I was in my 20s, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was in my 20s, I know they worried about me, and they worried about my future. And I, that bothered me. I felt like, come on, guys, I'm growing up. I've got a handle on this. And now that I have kids, I understand that you know it's not really a judgment on my ability. It's just what parents do. That's what they do, yeah. But I know that um, I know there were moments when they were proud of me. I know there were moments when they were worried for me. I knew there were moments that they really looked forward to what was coming for me. I know that. And today, I think that, uh, I don't think they always understand, you know, what I do. And that's fine, because sometimes I don't either. Uh, But I know that, I know that, you know, when they look at, uh, like, what I do and what Brian has done and the things we've done with the company and and all that, I know that, uh, I know they're happy. My mom... Uh, just uh, I was on Facebook for a long time and was friends with a lot of people and then got off for a long time and then got back on. And yeah, then, I crept your Facebook and it only went back to like two thousand. Yeah, I've only I think it's not even been a year that I've been back on. Yeah, but my mom recently sent me a friend request, which I didn't send any family friend request because most of my Facebook stuff is just networking. Yeah, and so I didn't send. <clears throat> but it, my, I know my mom sent me one, and I think it was because she had heard through the grapevine of some stuff that I was doing, and wanted to see if, <laughs> for herself. Is it true? Is he really? <laughs> is doing it, it? Did he really do that? So I'm on your Facebook profile right now. You and I have 194 mutual Facebook friends. Yeah, and I'm just scanning through, and I'll bet those are actual friends. 
like real ones. I, th- I know almost all of my Facebook friends. Sometimes there'll be somebody who sends me a friend request that I'm, you know, we might have 60 or 70 mutual friends, and I'll think, what the heck, why not? I see one guy on your Facebook page that I don't know. Who's out that? Of this guy. Oh, yeah, I know him personally. I don't know him at all. He's a good guy. But most of these people I actually know. And I think that's fascinating that, you know, in our community, we've got about 400,000 people in this area, in this region. Sure. And um, I got that off one of Mike Elam's posts today. Well, it must be Facebook. true. It Mike Elam's straight arrow. Which I hope to interview him very soon. Oh, I think you should. I can't wait. That's going to be a good one. If he's uh, here, I'd step out of the way. No, <laughs> no, no. Right this is down. your time. This is the John Dawson Storytelling That's how hour. excited I am about hearing Mike's. <clears throat> that's right. Um, but there's 4,000 something, some odd people in this county. <clears throat> and... It really is kind of a homey county. Yeah. You know, we've got a mix. It's largely conservative, it, but there is a lot of progressive motion here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a community that takes good care of each other. Um, it's a faith-filled community. That we've got a ton of parks. We care about them. We've got a ton of services for people that, you know, a lot of the, you and I go to galas. Like 150,000 galas a year. All, all the time. A lot yeah. of galas. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of that. So um, I don't have a point. Well, let me just, I'm going to interject <laughs> into your pointlessness, some of my own. <laughs> but a couple years ago, I went to a meeting I had never heard of. It was at the community council, and it was called the Continuum of Care meeting. And I had I was there for a reason, or I wouldn't have been there because I didn't know anything about it. But what it was, was it was at least 60 representatives from nonprofit organizations in St. Charles, Lincoln, and Warren County. They is this come, the community council? Yeah. Well, they meet Christy at the Weber. community council. Christy Weber, yeah. Uh, at the time, Mary Spatowski sat in yeah. that desk. Mary's powerhouse. I love her. We, in fact, Mary and I went through vision together. We need a... We need to, when we're done, we need to write down all the names that we're dropping here today. We need to remember how many yeah. we dropped first. I, I don't know. I'll we'll have to listen back. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, I went there and it was just all these people doing God's work in the three counties that are unsung. Like, I had never heard of most of the organizations or the work that they were doing. And to sit there in the room with these people. Right. These it, it's, it's this labyrinth underneath. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, you and I are largely public guys. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole group of people that I can't even imagine how they do it. Like, how do you, how do you do all this stuff underneath the public eye? Or maybe that's the problem. Maybe, maybe people like us need to get them more in the public eye, or maybe they need not be shy about their work. I don't know, but. You're I think right. most of them are just so, they're so humble, it never occurs to them that they should, uh, you know, t- they would never tout it themselves. Well, you know, what do you think about this? From a faith perspective, you know, we're, we learn that you're not, that you, you know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is right. doing. You know, what you do in public, that, that's, the, that's the blessing and it's over. You know, you think about the... The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and so on, and, and they're praying in public and they're and they're fasting and they're like, "Whoa, is me? I'm fasting," and, you know. And mm-hmm. and God and Jesus is saying, "Go into a closet." Yeah, go into a closet 
and be, and and then you you know then we'll talk. Mm-hmm. So, do you think you know, you're involved in charity work? I I've been involved in charity work. Do you think that it's just a matter of look, we're just out there doing the work. We're not here trying to get recognition. I believe that's most of it. They're just doing the work. They see the work that needs to be done, and they've got their talent or their ability, and they're more than happy to do it. So let me ask you this question: In 2012. I think it was, or 2011, I started a homeless outreach. I mean, God was clearly speaking to me to do this, and I didn't want to do it. And I did it. But I had a smartphone, and I had Facebook. And I learned very quickly that if I took some pictures of my work and I documented it and I posted it, Mm -hmm. that I would get more donations. Mm Mm-hmm. And I ended up having this homeless outreach for about six years until God shut it down. And no kidding, every week there would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars sent to me from around the country Mm -hmm. from all my Facebook connections. And I would post updates. I would post, there's a story I, I could tell, maybe I will, about a guy named Maurice who we saw every week. And I would post a picture of me and Maurice and I would share his story, mm-hmm. and that would bring me more money. And I, I took zero pennies from this operation, mm-hmm. 100%. Like, I didn't even pay for my, my gas mm-hmm. out of that money. Like, I, I, you know what I mean? It was just all yeah. in supplies, food, underwear, tampons, lotion, um, f- food, clothes. Did I say those? But meat and propane. Mm-hmm. And, and the marketing of that is what helped me to help them. Sure. So is it wrong? Was that no. wrong? No, not at all. What's the difference of that? I'm going to put maybe put you to task. What's the difference? Because we all, like we all see on Facebook, somebody says, oh, I stopped and helped this homeless person and my life was changed. I gave her $300 and oh my gosh. And then you get all the likes and the posts and you're mm-hmm. wonderful, you're wonderful, mm-hmm. you're wonderful. Versus documenting so that you can get more donations. I think marketing is a terrific tool, whether you're running a for-profit business or a non-profit organization. I mean, you know, if you want to be able to increase your reach, no matter what you're doing, marketing is going to be a good thing. So it comes down to, in that case, if the question is, is it right and proper, it has to be, the answer has to be what? I'd say yes. All right, but it, it stems from the heart, right? Yeah. Like, where is your true heart in it? Well, I think you know. <coughs> it's a tough one because we all have, <clears throat> we all have desires, and we all have. There's you know. a way to market. Like if you're, <clears throat> I mean, you like being liked, right? Doesn't everybody? Right. Yeah. But I mean, there's a way to market. You know, there's a way you can make it about you. There's a way you can make it about the work. Right. And you probably would get more donations if it's about the work. It's about the work, right? Yeah. So, what do you do for Brian Dawson Roofing? Well, I knew you were going to answer this question, Mike. It's a tough question to answer because I don't really have a, I, I don't have a real job title. I'll tell you this. Brian hired me as a project manager, and his expectation was pretty low. Originally, I had to sign a contract <clears throat> back when I started that basically I just agreed that I would sell 40 roofs a year. And I thought, for heaven's sake, like... It's nothing like some low expectations. Yeah, like if I can't sell 40 roofs. Yeah, who can't do like, that? Like, I don't even need to be a roofer to sell 40 roofs. Right. Uh, so, but, the, you know, that was that. And um, Did he pay you a salary or a draw? Uh, I never took a draw. 
I never, I never took any money until I sold something. And so I don't get paid unless I sell. Uh, and it's that way today. I have to sell if I'm going to get paid. And so I ended up doing a lot of things for Brian Dawson Roofing uh, because I was trying to make sales. And I realized pretty early on that it's a lot easier to sell something to somebody if they come to you and ask for it. Right, right, rather than going to them and asking for the sale. Right, and so we, uh, Brian was doing just a little bit of marketing uh, when I got there, not a whole lot, and certainly no no real network marketing. How long? So how long have you been with him now? I've been with him for over six, going on seven years, I guess, a little over six years. So, so I'm guessing, I'm guessing you, you and your brother have a good relationship. I don't know where I end and he begins, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I, it's, I, I don't know Brian really at all. I just met him at the one chamber meeting. And, sure. You know, stellar dude. He's, you know, one of my favorite people. He's handsome. He's, you should have seen him. <laughs> Man, he got the looks. <laughs> but, yeah, he's... I, you know, I... <laughs> what, my God, yeah, I'm, he was so cute when he was a kid, he'd make you cry just looking at him. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you've been with him for six years, and you're, you're pretty much the sales guy now. Well, there's we got a, we got another well, and when there's been a bunch of well, there's not like we go through people left and right, but uh, we've had several really good salespeople since I've been there. Uh, right now that we have, uh, so you're really, I, 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 your job really is just to be John Dawson, pretty much, and it's just <laughs> it's the easiest job I've ever had. It <laughs> paid me you. Yeah. It's brilliant. So there's something charming about you. There's something really charming about you, and it's evident in the community. And people see it, and they, they're drawn to you. You know, we people attract people, right? That's true. And um, people really like you. Thanks. Tell me about how you managed to get a whole bunch of people to wear hoodies with your brother's name on it. I'll, I hesitate to talk about this because... I am not sure I fully understand it. You know what I'm saying? Here's what I can tell you is when I started at Brian Dawson Roofing, I was given one red hoodie that had the logo on the left breast. And uh, because that's all there was in the closet. It, was, it wasn't really <laughs> a like, planned thing. What do you want me to wear? Oh, here, wear this. Right? Here's, is that how it was? Here's this. <clears throat> there, well, there was a jacket, too. I got a jacket. But, like, you know, it was in March. And so, like, jacket season was coming to a close pretty quick. So was hoodie season, by the way. But uh, anyway, so I was given that one red hoodie. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. And so. It's um, a good color for you. Yeah. So the next, late the next summer, I said, hey, why don't we get some more hoodies? So we did. And, uh. I think actually I said that to myself, and I bought them myself. Come to think of it, but anyway, so I said to myself, I yeah, said, "So we need to get some more of these hoodies, John. Why don't you get some?" So I did, and um, there was just there was a couple of people that when I started wearing the hoodies that next fall, that were like, "Hey, what do we have to do to get a hoodie?" And I thought that's interesting. These people, and they were both pretty good friends, and I thought these people want to wear what I wear to work. Like that's kind of flattering so anyway i made sure they got hoodies and so then, for you guys who don't know john dawson they, they wear this john and, and I, he's telling the story clearly of how it came to be but this red hoodie it's just like it sticks out like a sore thumb literally like if you whacked your thumb with, yes. with a 16 ounce hammer it's very red boom mm-hmm. it would be this throbbing swollen red thing yes 
And that's the color of the hoodie, and it says Brian Dawson Roofing. And so many people in the community, and this is, again, this is a community of 400,000 people. A lot Mm -hmm. of people know John. If you're not wearing it, you're not properly dressed. It's weird, yeah. I mean, there's, there's people that, if they see me wearing just normal clothes, don't even recognize me. Right. I don't exist unless I'm wearing a red shirt. But so, I bet your brother can wear anything he wants. He wears. He's the boss. He does. But you know, and, and he does wear it. the colors a lot of times. We call it sporting the colors. But uh, yeah, so there was a couple people interested, and I thought that's interesting. And then a couple more, and a couple more, and eventually. But you did a thing recently for. Well, a yeah. Well, eventually, I'd given away probably fifteen hundred dollars worth of hoodies over the years. And yeah. It occurred to me that maybe people would want to pay for it themselves. And. Uh, I was sponsoring a chamber luncheon, and I thought, this you know, I think the luncheon was in April. I started thinking about it in January. And I thought, let's set up a company store, give people an opportunity to buy the apparel and give everybody a reason to wear it all on the same day. It'll be pretty special. And uh, I wonder how it'll work. Either way, I'm sponsoring the luncheon, and uh, it'll be great. But some of the money went to charity, right? So... At the company store that we set up, you could go online and you could purchase either a T-shirt or a hoodie. Most people chose the hoodies. Cause and so we might as well plug somebody. Was this Marcy's project? Well, we'll plug Marcy's project. But who set up the store for you? That uh, was uh, Stacy Fernandez Promotions Pronto. With Promotions Pronto, yeah, she set up the store. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. And basically, when you bought the apparel, it was at cost. Plus a, dona- a donation to Marcy's project. So you didn't set up a cost. It was like the cost is fifteen or eighteen or twenty dollars, whatever the was, hoodie cost. It was twenty three dollars for a hoodie. Five dollars okay. of it went to Marcy's project, and the rest of it was just the cost of the hoodie. I didn't get. I didn't make a cent. So you actually paid five bucks of your of your cost to go into the charity too. Well, no, it was the five dollars was added on to the cost. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. So it was a minimum five dollar donation. Right. Okay, I got right. it. So how well, how many people wore the hoodie? Uh, somewhere between 60 and 70. It's hard to tell because in the picture, kind of some people are jammed together. Yeah. Whatever. So you had given me a hoodie, so I didn't actually make the donation. I feel guilty now, but I'll get over it. You could do it. You could go back and and retro give. I did sponsor Marcy's projects, um... The beanbag or the, uh, the I sponsored the cornhole event. Oh, there you go. You did your part. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about roofing. Okay, here we go. Because every time there's a storm, you get all these dudes coming by like, yeah, we're in town. I want to check your roof. Mm-hmm. Should people let them do that? I mean, I mean, it's your roof. Do what you want. But, but, talk, but talk with people like they're your family. Sure. Like well, if, you're, if your cousin. <laughs> but you're saying sure. I mean, I, I mean, don't know. You know, it's, it's, uh, your home is your castle. If you want to let some stranger crawl around on it. <laughs> Knock yourself out. I wouldn't. Uh, here, and here's the thing. There's. I'm going to probably go into a little more detail than Mike anticipated. And I'll just tell you this. There's nothing I love talking about in life than roofing. That's just the truth. I could talk about it all day long. There's I believe you. Three. I, you're, I've never met somebody passionate about roofing. I know. Me either. It's weird. But here I am. But I there's basically three types of roofing contractors in our market. And some of them aren't here all the time. Those are the storm chasers. Right. Those are the ones that don't live around here. They're here because there's been a storm. They're not going to be here very long. 
and they've got the best warranty you're ever going to hear about until you see their taillights. That's why we call it taillight warranty, because when they leave, so does the warranty. The second kind is what we call a storm restoration specialist, and they're storm chasers that never go away. So, is And it, then there's roofers. Okay, so um, <clears throat> what... And let's just let's just dive in. What what do you think you bring to the table in your industry that are that's reserved for the select few? Like, there's probably people that understand roofing as much as you, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, there is. It's not rocket science. But but there are some principles that you have to know that, like a lay person like me, I'm not going to. You could walk up on my roof mm-hmm. and you can tell me the condition of it and what I need. I could walk up to it and go, yeah, okay, I'm good, and walk down. Sure. And it's a different answer. Sure. Well, I'll tell you this. A roofer, a real roofer, somebody who understands roof theory and thinks like a raindrop. I mean, yeah, I was just going to say, it's all about how does water behave. How does water behave. That's all it's about. And a lot of people... It's and gravity. That it, it, Those absolutely. two things combined. It's physical science is all exactly, it is. It, exactly. It's and you just want to keep making the water go. You want, you want it to wick off and fall in. A lot of people think that the roof is waterproof. You know, and they have this... You know, if that was true, we could take a house, turn it upside down, and set it in the ocean and float all across the ocean. It's not. It's, it's designed to just push the water. It's designed to shed water quickly. And so in every roof, that's, that's the deal. If your roof can shed water quickly, it won't leak. But if you slow the water down on a roof, it'll leak every time. And another little thing, this is kind of pithy, but it's true. This is a roofer's cliche. I know we don't like cliches, but if you are working on a roof and you are not fixing a leak, you are causing a leak. That makes sense to me mathematically. Mm-hmm. And from my physics classes and things like that. You get homeowners that get on roofs and do all kinds of things because they're solving a problem. But in solving that problem, they're causing another problem. But, yeah, so I guess the thing... What's something that you would change in your industry if you could? Like, what what's a problem in the roofing industry? Um, right now, the biggest problem in the roofing industry is a lack of young people interested in doing the work. The young people that are interested in the roofing industry are interested in getting into the sales or construction management, but none of them want to do the work. And in my estimation, it's a very hard job, but you don't have to do it forever. But if you're going to be in the industry, it's probably a good idea to learn the theory. A good friend of mine um, owns a a fast food, a, a series of fast food restaurants. Sure. And you know me, I own a couple businesses and, um, I had fancied the idea of opening a food service business, Mm -hmm. burger joint, something or another. And my friend contacted me when, when I was pursuing it. And she says, she says, Mike, I want you to know that if you get into the food service, your business, you're, you won't actually be in the food service business. You'll be in the recruiting business. Mm -hmm. You'll be in the personnel business. So decide if you want to be in the personnel business Selling cheeseburgers mm-hmm. as a sideline. <laughs> That's a good point, though. I'm like, all right, I get it. If I, I I'm going to spend most of my time recruiting talent and training and hiring and firing and what disciplining or what are leading mm-hmm. personnel seeking versus 
building food things to put on plates to give to people. Sure. And it was a powerful epiphany for me to think, well, what is my next endeavor? So is that the same thing? I, let me give you this anecdote real quick. A friend of mine is a plumber. Might as well say it because we're plugging everybody. Steve Hosack, Hosack Plumbing. Sure. Outstanding business. Honorable man. Just a salt of the earth man. Runs a great business. And I was having lunch with him recently, and he said, he said, I don't have a problem with candidates. I got resumes and applications a mile long. The problem is when they get on the job, they don't actually want to do the work. Mm-hmm. They want to be a plumber, but they're not willing to be an apprentice for five years mm-hmm. and then a journeyman for five years and then a master. They want to be a plumber now making the money the master yeah. makes and they don't want to do the work. And I get that because when I was young, I guess I maybe I did or didn't want to do work, but is it <clears throat> is it different now than it was 6 years ago or have you always had the problem? Like since I've been in my position, the problem really hasn't changed. Um so who do you have who's doing it we have we we're i mean maybe don't name them but like what demographic who's your candidate well i will say we don't really have candidates because there are not people interested in doing the work what i do get is i'll get uh, well the people who do our work for us we've been very blessed that we have some very capable we have about five crews that are very capable understand what we expect how many people are in a crew uh, it depends but anywhere from four to eight okay um, That's a significant group of so, people. So, yeah, we're not in a uh, position where we are dying to get people because we have enough to take care of what we need. But, you know, nothing lasts forever, and so you're always kind of looking like, what What if— What am I going to do when this guy retires? When this or? happens, when you know, when this comes to an end, then what? And the thing that worries me is, you know, for, you know, for two decades, you've been able to find crews that come from Mexico. right. And are willing to work. And they work hard. And work really hard. And they're hungry. And they come as a whole crew. They're a unit. And, but before that, you know, you had to have your own employee crew, and you had to manage them. And, and so we got away from that because because we got in this situation where there were no young people that wanted to get into the work end of roofing. But, you know, this can't last forever. No. And so what's next, and how are we going to deal with that? And I don't know that that's anything that I'm not going to solve that problem today because no. I don't even have all the data. <clears throat> no, it, it's a tough one. And, and I guess maybe I naively think that if I keep doing good things and, and you know, being a community partner and doing my part in the community and being a good dude and supporting people, you know, like it's going to just happen. But you know, I don't have- know that that's naive. And if you don't do those things... I know that I don't know. You're right. I don't know if those are going to do it, but I know that if I don't do those, then I'm you'll not be in a deeper them. hole than you may have been. So in the I first think we place. need to do yeah. more. <clears throat> now in our business, we're pretty lucky, fortunate, um, and blessed beyond measure because if I need a new employee, I can often just go to one of my members and yeah. say, "Hey, what do you think about working here and having a free membership?" Right. Yeah. So it's not a hard thing for me, but. It's a special candidate, you know. Mm-hmm. You're looking for the right guy that wants to do the work. Yeah. And we do too. What does it mean to you to be a community partner? Because that's really something that gets bounced around in our circles. Yeah, well, that's a great question. And what it means to me is, I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory. You know, being a partner in the community, able to partner with other people in the community to make good things happen. 
um, or to serve a need or to fill a need, uh, but just to be to be open to the opportunities that present themselves and then able to work. This is a, in another direction, but I just remembered. I was at the motorcycle shop a few weeks ago. Yes. And I was walking out, and I turned, and I saw your wife, Heather, at the counter. Oh, yes. Buying something. Yes. I didn't stop and say hi because I was with my kids and we were on the go. Yeah. But I saw your lovely bride. That is so funny. And (laughs) I, of course, I didn't tell you Mm -hmm. because I didn't know if it was a surprise. Oh, it was for her. Oh, it was for her? Yeah. Right on. So tell me, I'll just ask, nothing's off limits here unless you tell me. But I'll tell you. Why'd your brother buy you a motorcycle? Well, my brother loves me a great deal. He does, but that's not enough to buy you a, a motorcycle. <laughs> that's a that's so, a that is not only does he love me, <laughs> but he loves motorcycles. And he loves riding motorcycles. And he has had this I think he got his first motorcycle I don't know. Oh, over 10 years if ago. If I know you and I know you pretty well, I know you I'm getting to know you year after year much mm-hmm, more and, mm-hmm. and I love getting that. I love that process mm-hmm. of getting to know you. I also know you're not going to make it about you. Well, that's true. But but it, but it isn't about me. Uh, of course, there there's a, has to be a component of it in there that's well, about sure. you. There's something. But, yeah, he loves motorcycles. He loves me. And he's when he got his motorcycle in 2010, I think, he was like, hey, you got to get a motorcycle. we got to ride together. And I, at that time, I, you know, I'm different, I guess. But I felt like... I might be more accident prone than most, and I've got two young kids kind of re- dependent on me at home. So I told my brother, I said, "Look, when my kids are no longer dependent on me, I'll get a motorcycle, and you and I will ride like the wind." And I think he got tired of waiting, so he bought me a motorcycle. It had nothing. It had nothing to do with your performance in the company. Well, I, he, I know that he he values my performance and my contribution a great deal which is that feels good to be valued as as much as he values me um but yeah i mean he's a good brother the best he must be that's awesome but i suspect you probably earned him a a sizable amount of money as a as a a partner in the business i kind of feel like that was my job it is your job, and it's important. Let's just go there for a minute because sure. there's there's a sentiment among young people, and I don't know that. And again, I was a young person, but I thought like a young person then, so I could have this totally wrong, John. Sure, maybe young people <clears throat> think differently now. Maybe, but it it seems that that young people, and this is a, I'm a 54 year old guy. I guess I'm old enough to be a grandpa, but I'm not one of those old curmudgeons that lament the old days i'm not i'm very i'm i'm good with the world i'm yeah, good with it we're kind of in the good old days and kids i think i don't mean kids people adults want to get paid for showing up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well showing up doesn't earn the company money right performing earns the company money and i see when i analyzed my past when i worked in the finance world some years ago I see where I failed in some ways because I actually, I believe I kind of had that mentality. Like I'm showing up selling these products and 
I deserve more. And I kind of had that mentality and I eventually grew up, you know, Mm -hmm. but your job as an employee of any company is to make them as much money as you can. That's what you're there for. That's it. Yeah. If you're not making the company money, there's no reason for you to be there. Right. And it's not about you showing up and filling a role. It's about showing up and generating revenue. And even if you're... Even if you're in a backline office job, it's all about revenue generation. It's all about that's there's there's We're, really nothing else when it comes no to point. business. Yeah. Um, I have people that do my QuickBooks. I have people to do my accounting, and the reason they're hired is so that I can go re- generate revenue. So right. their role is directly is directly um, tied to. Your the ability, ability to generate revenue. To generate revenue, yeah. because I'd have to do those jobs otherwise. So right. it's tied to revenue. You must have generated some revenue. And I'm not going to ask you how much. It's not in my business. But Brian Dawson Roofing is a, success, a successful company. Oh, it is. Yes, absolutely. But it was... So when I joined Brian Dawson Roofing, it was a successful company. It had been around... They had been doing just fine without me, and you know when I joined, I figured, thank God, my brother is taking me. Was it, hey Brian, can I come work for you, or was it, hey John, <laughs> you need to come work? Well, for us? so Brian had been asking me for years, you know, why don't you come work for me? Why don't you like from the very beginning? But we were in our twenties back then, and he's my little brother. He's two years younger than me. <laughs> You're like, heck no! So I, I was not going to work for my little brother. But when I hit my mid forties. <laughs> And something happened at the company I was working. Basically, I got mad at them, and they got mad at me, and I got sent home for a week. Well, my first phone call when I got to my truck was Brian, and I called, and I said, hey, if I was looking for a job, would you have something for me? Now, he had quit asking me to come to work for him. Did he hesitate, or did he say, heck yeah? He didn't hesitate for a second. He said, if it's you, be here Monday morning at 9. Now, this was on Friday. So basically, you know, be here the next workday at 9. Yeah. So that was that. That's how that happened. This is an interesting question. I, what is what's one thing about your job, your field of expertise that almost knows almost no one agrees about with you? Hmm. I don't know. I think I've got everybody to come around to my way of thinking. But I'll say this: when I first started there, when I first started at Brian Dawson Roofing, and uh, there was a certain real estate agent who had decided they wanted us to replace their roof. And I came into the office with that contract, and I said, I had made all kinds of notes on the contract, VIP, VIP, VIP. And I said, this person is a VIP. I said, they're VIP number one, because if we can make them happy, they will send so much work our way that if there were four of them, all we would have time for was their work. And everybody in the office said, get out of here. <laughs> That's not true. Ridiculous. Blah, blah, blah. That, this, oh, my God. I can't believe we're going to waste any time on a real estate agent. And uh, and so as it turned out, we did the work. They were happy. And that real estate agent is one of my top two referral partners to this day tied with a painter. That's incredible. What's one lesson your job taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life, personal, yeah, that's professional? That's a great question. That's a great question. And like, what did you learn by roofing? Uh, I don't really know. Uh, Is there a human nature component in there's roofing? There's totally a human nature component. Well, here's the thing. Every homeowner is different. Now, almost every roof in St. Charles County 
is this, you know they're all designed to shed water quickly. Mm-hmm. But every homeowner sees their need differently, and would like it filled, would like their need filled, a little differently. And it's so I, the funny. Th- I was just thinking about this within the last, well, over the last weekend, is that you can have. There's really only so many housing designs, you know, especially if you get into a subdivision. There might yeah, be five it's outer walls houses. and a roof and a whatever. And, <clears throat> but every home, it always comes down to the homeowner. Every homeowner is different, and you have to, you're always dealing with a different person. Yeah. So you, there's it's no. It's never about the job, is it? It's never it's about, never the, about the roof. It's always about the homeowner. It's the human needs. Absolutely. That's all it is. Absolutely. Um, when you deal in the health and wellness business like we do, whether you're the painting business if you're in the um you know if you're train if you're a teacher trainer it's 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 so, so little of it is about the thing mm-hmm. that's true well it's like the old adage you know what business are you in i'm in the roofing business what business are you really, really in? in i mean the people business. takes at least three times like to ask you know I, I went to tony robbins business mastery and one of the things they they harp on it they really focus on is what business are you in mm-hmm. what business are you really in and what business are you really in mm-hmm. and finding that out it all comes down to in this in this in a professional capacity it all comes down to satisfying a need for a human mm-hmm. absolutely otherwise you're not employed and sometimes people don't realize they have a need. One thing that you told me a long time ago, and I remember the exact words, but I remember the gist of it, and it was one of the things that made you interesting to me from the very beginning, <clears throat> because I believed you. And I think people can see... I'm on the edge of my seat. People can <laughs> people can see, they can sense BS, you know? I mean, yeah. some people have a better filter than others, but there's some, there was something very believable about how you said it to me, was that... It wasn't something like this. I don't know. I'm going to mess it up, but you you correct me along the way. I'll straighten you. Like I'm not I'm not here to sell a roof. I'm here to to solve a problem. I'm here to right. like absolutely people that that get roofs sold to them. So many of them don't need it. They just need a patch job, or maybe they need a you know. And I'll go up on a roof and I'll just replace one or two shingles because that's all they need it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're problem solvers, absolutely. It, along those lines, is there a lot of is there a lot of, of um, dare I say, um, manipulation in the roofing business? It seems like there could be. It's just like any other business where you've got salesmen who are getting paid a commission on what they sell. And I always tell, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll find myself talking a homeowner out of buying a roof. If somebody buys a cheeseburger and there's no meat in it, they got rooked. Right. But if somebody has a roofer to come out and do an inspection, they don't know if they got rooked. They don't because they but don't when know. I go to McDonald's and if there's no meat or no fries, everybody in the bag, knows what a cheeseburger should taste like. Right, but nobody knows roofing except roofers. People think a lot of like there's magic in roofing. Yeah, and so so how do you trust a roofer? That's the thing. How do you trust a roofer? I mean, it's I, I mean roofers. <laughs> it's like this band of traveling, you know. Yeah, a lot gypsies, of gypsies. You yeah. know, the Irish uh, gypsies. Yeah, <laughs> but have you ever noticed a lot of the Irish gypsies are <laughs> roofers? <laughs> But I'm not trying to insult. I really am not. I'm just saying that because... I'm going to go back to that. Have you ever been insulted question right now? <laughs> right now. <laughs> and I'm proud. <laughs> I'm so proud Mike proudly insulted me. No, no, it's... But yeah. 
so you can be duped. Here's what I have heard more than once is that one homeowner talking to another homeowner has said, you got to call John. He's the only roofer I know that will talk a homeowner out of buying a roof. Right. And I have, I have experience of that because there's an association, quote, unquote, that I'm involved in mm-hmm. that got some quotes for a roof mm-hmm. on a building. And you, I don't know if you know this story. I may have told I don't. You this story in arrears. There <laughs> really is a group that I'm associated with who got like two roof inspections. And then somebody said, oh, well. Because they were different opinions. Mm-hmm. One's like, you need a patch job. Oh, the other one's, you need a whole new roof. It's mm-hmm. you know eighty gajillion dollars. Somebody said to this person who was in charge of this, "You just need to call John." And they're like, "Who's John?" You know. So I mean that that works. It really, it really, truly works mm-hmm. when you're genuine. When you when you put that that foot forward, and people begin to understand that you're trustworthy, sure. right? Uh, in our business, I'm starting, you know, we've been around for five years. I'm start today, somebody called my personal, my business personal cell, mm-hmm. not my personal personal, my business cell, and said, hey, I need to sign up. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's that yeah. easy. All right. You know, and after this is after years of spending thousands of dollars in a month in marketing and, you know, it's starting to happen, right? Right. Like somebody... My friend Julie says that I have to sign up. I'm like, okay, let's get you in. When do you want to go? Absolutely. So the reputation comes, and this is about you, not me. It's that your name gets mentioned when someone needs a tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. And that's got to feel good. It does. It does. Uh, absolutely, it feels because good. Because you know people are doing that. You know that. You said so yourself just, just mere minutes ago Yeah. that people say, well, you should call John. Yeah. Because he'll actually talk you out of it if you don't need it. One time I had a... But I'm not talking about... I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I'm not talking about Brian Dawson roofing. Sure. I'm talking about the influence. Mm-hmm. I get it. And it's... I'm a good influence. It seems like it. I mean, you've probably done some dumb things. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But I'll tell you what. I know a lot of things, Mike. And everything I know is because of a mistake I made. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it, it to be you were so humble when I when I asked you to if you wanted to do this, if you wanted to have a conversation, and you're like, why me? Well, here's and I still feel like there's a lot of people with a lot more influence than me. Um I you know, in uh, I you know, here's the thing and like we talked about this just a little while ago, like my job is to make money for Brian Dawson Roofing. So everything I do, you know, what whoever I influence or whatever is, you know, it really all comes down to just doing my job. Well, at the end of the day, we understand why we, I, I believe that I don't want to leave my house, my wife or my children, unless it's one of two things, making money, or a personal passion. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. Otherwise, I'm good being home with my wife, my kids coming. <clears throat> That's my life and my love. Sure. Uh, or to do ministry, obviously, which is a passion, right? Sure, passion. But otherwise, I, you know, your time's worth a certain amount of money. Like, how much does you, let's say your company, I'm not your company. Let's say your company does, let's make it really easy. Um, let me get a calculator. 
Thank God we got a cell phone here. Let's say your company does $3 million a year. Mm-hmm. Okay? $3 million. For the sake of argument, yes. Let's say you're, reven- you're generating that revenue as an individual. Let's okay. just say that's it. You're generating $3 million. Okay. And you work an average of 40 hours a week, 2,080 hours. That means your time is worth $1,442.31 per, per hour. But I don't work. I mean, I work way more than 40 hours a week. Well, let's say it's worth $1,000 an hour. That's nice. Okay. Well, I'm, again, I'm making up numbers. Right. I'm going to come what to work I'm, for you if you keep talking. Well, I don't make those numbers. You kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> but I think I would if you joined. <laughs> but what am I? I'm going to go out and do something. Is it worth? You know, I know my number. Sure. Like I know my companies. I have three companies. I I own three different businesses, and I know what they generate in mm-hmm. revenue. And I'm talking gross, and I'm responsible for that. So mm-hmm. I attribute that as my hourly. Sure. And it's high enough that. Like, someone may call me for lunch, and I'm like, no, I don't want to get... Sorry, I'm, I'm not available. Right. Because that conversation, depending on the nature of it... Might cost you money. It might end up costing far more than I'm willing to spend mm-hmm. in, my, in my attendance. Sure. And I don't mean that in any sort of negative way. I mean that in a, in a just sheer practical trading time with my family... For time with Bubba Joe. Sure. Well, I'd rather be with my family than with Bubba Joe because of all kinds of reasons, right? Right. But at other times, you know, um, I sat with a couple different people that we we both know. Sorry, I keep hitting the microphone. That was not me, everybody. It was the professional. (laughs) Right. <clears throat> Thank you for that. So I sat with lunch, uh, sat at lunch with a couple of people last fall, and I said, "Well, who are who are some movers and shakers, like people that really get stuff done in the community? Mm-hmm. I want to have lunch with them." And they named like five people between the two of them, and I've had lunch with all five of them, and mm-hmm. I do it again. They're wonderful people. But I found, I found that over the over the past few years, that I've been more in, interested in influence and. And, and how it actually works, both positive and negative. I find that it's it's not the people that you think that are really in the influencers. Yeah. And I'm not talking about social media influencers and, you know, branding and all that stuff. I'm talking about the people who really make an impact on their community. And it can be in benevolence. It can be in healthcare. It can be in sports. It can be in, in goodwill. It can mm-hmm. be anything. It can be in building buildings. There are some people I have on my radar to interview. And... The truth is, is, is a lot of them are names that nobody would ever really know, but they're truly absolutely, people. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of people, there's somebody I'm thinking of in particular right now, who is a huge influence in our community, in our larger region, let's say. And uh, they've done a lot of stuff. I don't know if they'd want me to mention their name, so I'm not going to. You can tell me afterwards. I will. But they're very much behind the scenes, but they're not just doing work behind the scenes. They are influencing the decisions that are made behind the scenes that impact thousands of people. That's influence. Yeah, it is. Um, Influence is is a lot of things, and I think that's what I'm learning. I'm going to learn more. um, Charisma is a component of, of influence. And the more I learn about influence, the more I understand that it's a whole lot less about cracking a whip and being a boss 
or a business owner yeah. or a mayor or a whatever. No offense. I know all the mayors around here. You guys are awesome. They're you great are. guys, especially my mayor, St. Peter's Lane Pagano. Uh, awesome dude. Um, my mayor, Donald Licklider, one of a wonderful man. He's amazing. He's incredible. But it's not about the title. It's about living your life. And I think that's why you were recommended to me. So we better wrap it up. It's been a long one. I keep thinking these are going to be short, but How they're going. How long have we been going? I'm not even going to tell you. Oh, thank God. <laughs> you want to go longer than Mark's? No. Okay. This is a question that I asked everybody. Um, what's... One question you wish I'd asked you, and how you how would you have answered it? I've heard you ask Anna Alt and Mark Hollander both that question and thought, man, if he asked me that, I don't know what I'll say. I don't really, I don't have an answer to that question. That's fair. Because I came in with no expectation. I thought, Mike's going to ask me what he's going to ask, and I'll do my best to answer. Do you read books? I don't. Re- I used to read a lot of books. I haven't read books really since I had kids. You watch movies? I do. What's what's a movie I should watch? What's one of your favorites? Um, I'll tell you, my very favorite movie of all time is It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, that's the best. You've I've seen, seen that one a million times. What about uh, another one I really love, and I'm sure you've seen it, Sea Biscuit. Sea Biscuit. When yes. I'm feeling down, I want <laughs> Sea Biscuit. <laughs> or Cinderella Man. That's a motivational movie. Who's in that one? Oh, what's his name? Is that one guy? Yeah, one guy. Yeah, but anyway, it's about you know it's about the boxer who you know he's yes. Yeah, that's oh my god! If I'm down, I got to watch that. But you know, let me t- ask you this: uh, Have you seen the? There's a TV show that is on an app that you can download the app for free. I don't have anything to do with this app. I'm not trying to sell the app, but uh, it's called The Chosen. I have not watched it. It's in queue. I'm not a big TV guy, but it's in queue. I'm not a huge TV guy, but I've been watching this, and it is, of course, it's it's a multi-season. Yeah. About and it's the a story life of Jesus, Jesus yeah. and it's like you've never seen it. I can't wait. I'm that's def, that's absolutely in queue. I'm in the middle of season two now. A couple of quick questions to wrap it up. Okay, because this podcast is called the Mike Bowie Show: People Who Influence People. Yes, I think it's a great name. Thank you. I thought of it myself. Who Do is tell. somebody that's a? Who would you name as maybe not your top influence, but someone that merits like who has influenced you the most in your life in any regard, personal, professional, whatever? I don't know that there's any one person that's influenced me the most. And I, you know, I think I'm sort of an amalgamation of a bunch of people. There's been a lot of people be a huge influence on me, starting with my grandfather on my dad's side, uh, a man named Ronnie Kuntz, who I worked with for years. So the concrete company? Different, no. different. Uh, we moved pianos together, Ronnie and I. Okay. Um, well, did you ever have? A, have you ever had a mentor? Like, have you ever? Ronnie was a mentor. I mean, you know, was it purposefully that, or was it just like that's oh, what it was? I knew what it was. I don't know that he thought of it that way. He just thought, "Here's a kid that wants to know stuff." I think he thought this kid, you know, he can move some pianos. I want him. On we my, want to teach him. I want him on my crew. Yeah. And I thought this guy has made so many mistakes. And has learned so much. I'd like to avoid the mistakes he's made. That's smart. But yeah. who, who does that now? Like I, I don't know. Kids, my kids, God love them, and they're great kids. They're really wonderful. Um, but you know, like all kids, they want to go make some of their own mistakes. Right. And, and you want to. You do yeah, you want got, to. You should have the right to. Have you mentored anybody? I have. Okay. How does that relationship with you? Do you enjoy that relationship? I do enjoy it. Uh, I was just thinking about this recently. Is that what's really good is when you mentor somebody 
and you mentor them to the point where they don't need you. And usually maybe they need another mentor, but right. you know, you've, you've, you, you've run your course it's like, with them. It's like planting a, a seed in them spiritually. Yes. It's like, and then letting them go. It's hard mm-hmm. to let them go. It does hurt sometimes, but it's, it's what happens. What's your life going to look like in five years? I have no idea. I try not to even think about that so much. You're not a planner. You don't, you don't have like a three year, five year, 10 year. I really don't. So, and here's what I do. I just try to do the next right thing. I pray for two things. I know you didn't ask this question, but it's part of my answer. I pray for two things. I pray for the knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. And wisdom is something that's hard. It like as a as a mature spiritual person, <clears throat> it gets easier to to pray for wisdom because you know Scripture says that you ask for it, He'll give it to you. Sure. How does He give it to you? He, well, you know, here's through what lessons and yeah, failure lessons. and hardships. Yeah, you know, you, if you screw it up the first time, you get a second get, shot at it. You get a whole nother go round. Yeah, yeah. But that's so. I just tried to do the next right thing. I figure, if if I'm doing the very next right thing, one step at a time, I'm doing His will, and I'll be where He needs me to be. Do you, so you don't have like a vision board. You're not planning, and projecting. No. Five, okay. All right. Well, and Mike, I think about it like this. I didn't plan any of this. You know, I didn't plan any of this. So you're not this. where you thought you'd be. No, I'm way better off than I ever ever anticipated, so why would I go messing that up now? So what's the title of the John Dawson story book? What an ass. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know. I guess uh, whoever writes it will get to pick that out. All right. A couple last just off the wall because I got some fun questions here. Okay. I love fun questions. If you had to eat one meal the rest of your life, oh what would it be? Oh, my God, yeah. That's a great question. What is it, what would it be? One meal the rest of my life. Let's go with uh, Sunday dinner. Fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and green beans. Oh, man. Shut my mouth. That's right. Now you got to yes. open it to get some food in there, but then what, shut it. What's your biggest pet peeve? Oh, man. Biggest pet peeve is people who don't have a system. <laughs> Everything I do is a system, and I see people do stuff. But you don't lay plans, so I don't get it. Like, well, there must, but, you know, more to it. I get through, but so I got things I do. I wake up in the morning, I brush my teeth, take a shower, put my clothes on, go downstairs. I drink two cups. You of shower coffee. every day, at least once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But two cups of coffee, say my prayers, do I my readings. I don't know that everybody showers every day. Start making. Phone I don't calls. shower every day. I got a system. You I, don't? No, well, I don't, I don't sweat every good. day. Well, thank you. Why well, sweat every day? We've been in a in a small closed office yeah. for a solid ninety minutes now, and, and I, my nose works. I'm not offended. I don't smell it. Um, it smells pretty good, people. If you won ten million bucks tomorrow, what would yes. you spend it on? Ten million dollars tomorrow. First, I'd pay off my debt, which I don't have that much, but it'd be nice to not have any. And uh, then, uh, probably pay off some. I got five. Did I tell you, I got five brothers and a sister. I might help them out. Pay off some of their debt too if they have any. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, who'd you choose? Hmm. Any historical figure? Uh, you know what? Why not Thomas Jefferson? Did he drink coffee? I don't know. Let's assume he did. Why him? I mean, you know, well, he's no George Washington. No, he was the third president. Third or fourth? Now I can't remember. But by then, I think he'd figured. You know, they'd figured it out a little bit. And uh, I don't know. I just always loved Thomas Jefferson. It's just I don't know. Whenever I think of Thomas Monticello Jefferson, I just like think, a great place. I just think of the Jeffersons and his George and Wheezy. Wheezy, yeah. Fish don't burn on the grill or something <laughs> like that. That's a great show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
do you play any instruments or anything? Do you do what do you do? If, what, what does John Dawson do on his off time? Because you're not you're not roofer twenty four seven. No, I don't play instruments. Uh, I, much to my chagrin, I always wanted to learn how to play an instrument and uh, never really had the time for it. So I don't do that. But my my oldest boy is very musically inclined, and so he he got you know he was able to take a take that opportunity but see what you did you just like i asked you a question and then you turned it into somebody else mm-hmm. well he's really good at it <laughs> well, i'm proud of your son <laughs> thank you what do you do so i mow the grass a lot <laughs> and uh i've got a <laughs> i've got a farm my, oh that's right because yeah. you guys live here in town but you every weekend yeah. you go out to the farm we live in st peter's and then on the weekends we go up to the farm heather and i do and, so and you got like 10 acres 10 acres i've got the nicest crop of brush and trouble you'd ever want to see mike it's beautiful but yeah so there's a lot of grass to mow up there and so i do that and there's bees we got bees brian he's oh, you also a beekeeper oh, okay so he's got some hives up so there. so you 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 keep the honey just for yourselves or do you give it to like oh podcast we've given we've give, well, i didn't bring any <laughs> i didn't have any on hand or i would have but uh, i could hook you up uh but yeah so i i foster uh, you know here's the thing my little brother's into bees and so that makes me into bees and so now on my 10 acres of brush and trouble i do everything i can to grow wildflowers for these bees so, okay yeah last question promise I promise. Uh-huh. I thought you weren't going to promise. What? Okay, give me a second. Okay. Because I want to ask it the correct way, because otherwise you'll dodge it. You're going to shuck and jive. I know you will. <laughs> shuck and jive. <laughs> Bob and Wee. Um, what, do you, what do you bring to the table? But what is John Dawson? Like, okay, you've got a professional, you've got a lifetime of experience. You're mm-hmm. not a young man, you're not an old man. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been said there are three phases of life, mm-hmm. right? There's like the learning and the, you know, the, the producing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got the mentoring phase. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the make a difference phase mm-hmm. as you get older. Right? Yeah. So where are you in that? And what do you bring to the table? I don't know. I th- well, first of all, I think the learning goes on forever. I learned something new today, actually. Uh, but that's a story for another time. And then the mentoring, I think that should go on for as long as you possibly can. I plan on mentoring until I close my eyes the last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and making a difference. I think, I, I think I'm probably like right in there with mentoring and making a difference. You're on that crossover? I do think that... Uh, I don't panic. I'm really good in a crisis. I perform the best when the poop's hitting the fan, so yeah. to speak. And you probably stay pretty calm and level, don't you? I do. I tend to stay pretty calm. I don't let that stuff bother does, me. Does your wife, Heather, does she freak out about stuff? or does she, she stays pretty calm, too. Does she really? I don't think as calm as me. Sorry, sweetie. But... She's pretty, you know, she's very Someone's got to sound the alarm. She is very level-headed, except for when it comes to snakes. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're both pretty calm, I guess. But, yeah, I think I probably keep my calm a little better than she does. But, yeah, so I think I bring that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an even-keeled. Uh, I think I have a tendency to see things for what they are. Um, Why is that important? I think it, you know you, you, we need to deal in reality. 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 I mean, you, you, any situation, and you know, I look at everything you know construction wise. But in any situation, 
if you're going in to solve the problem, you had better know what the problem is. Right, identify. Yeah, so you got to be able to identify the problem. And there's a lot of people in my business that can identify the surface that the problem is under. Yeah. But not so much the problem. Yeah. So it's good to be able to, you know. So you're analytical, you're calm. You're, yeah, right. I get it. All right. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, I don't have any more questions. I, I've enjoyed this. I, I know a lot more about you now than I did. Um, and I hope some, I hope anybody listening uh, has enjoyed it too. Um, I, I hope that this was a good experience for you. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. The thing I'm going to miss the most when I get back in out of this room is that your voice won't sound as awesome as it does. <laughs> sounds way better in these microphones. It sounds really <laughs> like good. Yeah. 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 In person, it's just not enough there. Well, I mean, it's enough. But last this question. Is great. Last question. I knew you were okay. lying about the last question. Well, here's why. Because I know that you have a lot of freedom with your time. Yes, it's true. When do you get your best work done? Oh, that's a great question. Let me just tell you. I get up at 5, and I don't, you know, there's only a few people that are going to reach out to me before 6. And then from 6 to 7, there's only a few people that are going to reach out to me. I get a ton of work done between 5 and 7. And then just planning your day and stuff. Well, or do you like pay your bills? Catching up from stuff. Stacks of things. Here's the thing: like I go around and look at stuff for estimates during the day, and then when you get home, you you got to catch up on all the emails that you couldn't catch up on, phone calls, text messages, things like that. And then I will try to write estimates in the evening but if i run out of time because i would like to spend some time with my wife i know that there's two hours in the morning where i would be almost totally uninterrupted so i'd say the best most quality time where i don't have to worry about having to stop doing this to go do that is between five and seven a.m cool that's all i got man thank you you're the best thank you you are uh, a great community partner i love your your story about your brother how you love your brother your family you guys have built a great business you guys are doing awesome stuff in the community. Thank you. Keep doing it. Thank we'll you. We'll do another one down the road. It means a lot coming from Mike Bowie, Osteo uh. Strong. By the way, everybody, Mike Bowie's Osteo Strong. If you are a roofer and you're listening to this, balance is important to you. It is, and you know it. It is. And I'll tell you something. Balance was failing me, and I started doing Osteo Strong, and within a month... There was a market increase in my balance. And I know this isn't about Mike, and he's getting mad. He's shooting daggers at me. But OsteoStrong is a big deal. It's for everybody. Thank everybody, you, man. And it, it doesn't cost, you know, it's like going to the dentist. You go to the dentist every six months because when you smile, everybody sees your teeth. That's well, right. nobody sees your bones. That's right. But they're there. They're in there. They're you super can't see important. Them. Thank Take you, care man. of yourself. All right. See ya. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for the next episode.